0: Gather round and listen to tales of great adventure and brave heroes. Tales of daring individuals fighting monsters and claiming treasure. Tales of bards trying to get into the pants of savage beasts to avoid losing a fight. Tales of people drinking beer, eating pizza, and rolling dice. Tales of people losing their minds over the things that happen to people who only exist in their minds. This is Roland Bones, and I am Ryan Howard. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Roland Bones with Ryan Howard, your source for the best in RPG interviews. I am King of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard, and today I am flying solo for a couple of product reviews for some stuff that was uh, very kindly uh, given to me, actually, by two previous guests. Uh, so today I will be talking about both the Occurrence at Howling Crater adventure that, that Levi Combs and, and Planet X Games put together, and I will also be talking about the Zweihander RPG from Daniel Fox. So before we get started, just so you guys know, again, full disclosure, I've already said this, again, these these guys were guests on the show, and out of the goodness of their hearts, they gave me free copies of these adventures. I don't think that affects my opinion. I like to think that I'm able to kind of divorce myself of, uh, you know, the, the kindness of the guests and to, to honestly review the products, but I'm just letting you guys know, again, you, you heard them on the show already, uh, but they gave me free copies, so that's, that's how I've come to review these products. So, Without further ado, uh, let's actually start with uh, An Occurrence at Howling Crater. So, for those of you who weren't listening at the time or don't remember, An Occurrence at Howling Crater uh, was released by Planet X Games, um, and it was written by Levi Combs. Uh, Levi is a fantastic guy. He's been a great supporter of the show uh, almost since the beginning. It... Definitely since he came on, but he's he's been great. He's been instrumental in helping me book uh, some of the guests that I've had on pretty much anyone from like the the Frog God Games circle was because of Levi or because of Levi and Casey Christopherson, who was on the show again because of Levi. Skeeter was on because of Levi. He's been fantastically uh, helpful in just encouraging me to keep doing this uh, this podcast. And uh, it seems like every time I talk to him, it, it's just it's a blast. I I cannot wait to meet Levi in person. Uh, but all that aside, uh, we must of course talk about the adventure and how it stacks up on its own merits. Aside from Levi, there's there's a few other people who worked on this uh, RPG uh, in the art department. Uh, So the front and back covers were done by Adrian Lenderos, and the interior art was also done by Lenderos with uh, some art by Ed Bickford, Timothy Burns, and Jay Shields. And then the cartography was done by Carl Sternberg. Someone will, without a doubt, Correct my pronunciation of that. If you hear a clinking noise in the background, it is my new D twenty whiskey stone. It is louder than I anticipated, so just just throwing that out there. If you hear a clinking noise in the background of this episode, the basic background of this adventure is there is an alien craft that, uh, in order to escape uh, some some problems that were happening kind of on board the craft, basically overloaded their dimensional drive and skipped across reality, as it's described in the book, like a stone across water. And it ended up crashing in essentially your campaign setting, wherever that that may be. And there are a few different settings in which this uh, this adventure would work pretty well. I'll get to that at the end of my analysis. So let's talk about kind of the, the overall uh, layout of the book. I feel like the layout's very good. I'm not seeing really any formatting problems. And it also seems to be pretty tight on the typo, formatting, layout flowing, all that stuff kind of fits together well. It feels like the book was actually, um, you know, designed with this layout in mind, which is always a good thing. And there's, there's rarely any times where I kind of get lost reading the book. That's, that's something that tends to happen with a lot of adventure modules I've noticed with me is sometimes I get kind of lost in like where the text is. And a lot of that's down to the way that some books are formatted as far as where to put the images and, and how the columns break up and, and all of that. Sometimes, if the layout is not done correctly, it can be very confusing, uh, but, but Levi and, and his team have done a great job with that here, so that is not a concern. The art all looks fantastic. There are a couple of the bigger pictures that have uh, signatures on them that I can see, uh, so some of, them, some of them I know who drew them, others I don't know, uh, but all of the art in this book is fantastic. It, it looks really cool, kind of old school in a way. And, and Levi definitely was talking about how he um, he wanted to kind of uh, capture that old module feel, kind of that gritty DIY feel that like 1E modules had. And I, I feel like he's done that very well. Uh, another thing that he's done very well is definitely capturing the uh, the grindhouse aesthetic. Because there are moments where I was reading over descriptions of characters, and this mostly has to do with the, uh, the the denizens of Howling Crater, the Watts Clan, these inbred radioactive mutant hillbillies. There are descriptions of them that made my stomach churn, and I think I might have actually gagged once or twice while reading the descriptions and that is a that that's a compliment for those of you who who don't know I know Levi knows that but for those of you who don't, that is absolutely a compliment. I got the this visceral reaction to, to hearing the way that Levi described all these people, and he described them in character as as one of the other uh, members of the Watts clan who kind of left the the crater. And it's very it's very Hills Have Eyes, Wrong Turn, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and he's captured that aesthetic in this part very well. And there is a second part to the adventure. Uh, beyond just what's in the crater, uh, as, as the party journeys, uh, like I said, there was that spaceship that crashed into the crater. Uh, it was found by a guy named Obadiah Watts, who uh, basically was like mutated by the radiation of the reactor and has since brought his entire family into the crater. And it's expanded into, like I said, this inbred, mutated, gross tribe of Killer hillbillies, but once you get past that, uh, there's the aspect of the spaceship, and it's here that I feel like the, the kind of the real brilliance of this module shines through. To be perfectly honest, when when I first heard the the concept of there's a crashed like 1950s aesthetic flying saucer, like a Plan 9 flying saucer that had crashed in, like, a DD and d fantasy world, and these, like, hillbillies had kind of spawned this cult around it, I was very skeptical. Hearing Levi's enthusiasm kind of made that skepticism die down a little bit, but the concept itself, with me being a bit of a genre snob and, and being a bit of a genre purist, me thinking, okay, these two things should not coexist. They shouldn't meet. But the way that Levi kind of describes... Not just the spaceship, but he also goes to great pains to describe like how you as the Dungeon Master should describe the surroundings as your players would see them. Because as Levi points out, your players in a typical high fantasy D&D setting do not know what a spaceship is they would have no concept of a spaceship or or ray guns or wires robots anything like that and to them it would look like you know a robot would be indistinguishable from like a golem or an iron guardian wires would be indistinguishable from like thick vines from a tree a blaster would just look like a a fancy looking wand to them essentially or a a a rifle would look like a a staff of some sort, or a crossbow. And so Levi really does a great job kind of explaining, you know, you should describe this in terms That the characters at the time would understand, and that really kind of fixed the uh, the kind of the gap that was in my mind of okay, how do I make this work and not be cheesy? And and part of that answer is you don't worry about it being cheesy because that's the point. Uh, You know, if your players agree to play an occurrence at Howling Crater, they should know what they're signing up for. Uh, But that leads me to kind of my next point about this. There are some adventures in in RPGs and D and D that you don't want to let your players know they're playing. And I feel like this is a perfect example of this. You should not, to be perfectly honest, let your players know that you're playing an occurrence at Howling Crater. Don't show them the book or anything like that. Uh, this is something that you spring on your players. You, you drop the hooks in town and you have them go out there and explore it and you surprise them with the craziness. And there's this book is batshit in the best way. But that, that craziness really sets in if you surprise your players with. I would love to, like like in my Dark Sun game, I would love to just throw this in there. The entire time I was reading it, I thought about how could I spring this on my Dark Sun players? How How could I, you know, how could I lead them to this crater? And, you know, wh- how would I kind of reflavor things around it being Dark Sun and the, the differences of Dark Sun? Because, I mean, with a, a metal flying saucer in the world of Dark Sun, the players are immediately going to be like, we're going to hack that thing up and we're going to try to make weapons out of it because, you know, metal is scarce. Or at the very least, we're going to make a shit ton of money off of this. And so that's that's a consideration I have to take in if I were going to, uh, to throw this at my players. But the other side of this, and I feel like as a GM, if you were trying to decide to run an occurrence at Howling Crater, you need to really know your players. You shouldn't throw this out to players that you don't know. Uh, because like I said, there is some rather disturbing descriptions in here. There's there's lots of craziness that happens. And some of it is downright gross. Like I said, I gagged once or twice while, while reading this module there are some descriptions that, if you read that out loud at certain tables, uh, might not go over well. So if you're going to spring this on your players, uh, my one caution would be to know your audience. But with that being said, if you feel like your players would be totally into this, you know, if you've got some grindhouse fans or some like old school horror fans at your table, and you want to just kind of shake things up a little bit, absolutely spring this on your players. Don't tell them that they're walking into it though, but yeah, go for it. Now, as for uh, settings that this uh, system would work well in, the first one that comes to mind is it's, this is the one that the adventure was designed for. Uh, this is the one that Levi will encourage you to run the game in. Uh, that would be a traditional D&D setting. Uh, I, I don't know if you want to throw this into Forgotten Realms. Uh, you might want to. That might be cool. But uh, just just like your average D and D setting, because it it makes for a cool juxtaposition. And then, of course, uh, what my mind was on the entire time I was reading was Dark Sun. Uh, as you guys know, I I have uh, kind of a bone for Dark Sun right now, especially with me running it. And so every time I'm I'm reading new stuff, I just think about how I can apply it to Dark Sun. But I feel like this this could work really well in a Dark Sun type setting, since there is a lot of just like villages off the beaten path out in the middle of the table lands that no one goes to and you know the inhabitants will probably kill you and eat you so throwing something like this in there and then just having like a crashed alien ship you know it, it could lead to some interesting plot points especially with uh dark sun being completely cut off from the other planes so this idea of you know when did this thing get here how did it get here What's it doing here? What were they trying to do? How did they get to Athos? That kind of stuff. That's all interesting in a Dark Sun setting. And then the other setting that I think would be really cool for this, uh, if you are running Deadlands... Or any other kind of weird West game, or even any other kind of Wild West game. If you threw this at at someone in a Wild West game, I feel like that would be very interesting. There's definitely like a, a southwestern vibe to the the Watts Clan. Uh, you know, you think about like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's it's stuff like that. It's it's <clears throat> southwestern desert people. You know, who who are are cannibalistic and inbred hillbillies and stuff like that. It's. I feel like it would work really well. In a Western setting, and and you know, it'd, it'd be cool to introduce like um, guns in this type situation. I, I feel like that would make for for something kind of interesting, especially with uh, some of the magic aspects that show up in in this game. I'd I'd very much like to try to convert this to Deadlands. That that would be that would be a ton of fun. And and with Deadlands, I probably would tell my players, hey, we're gonna do Howling Crater. But even then, eh, maybe not. Maybe not. So my final verdict on Howling Crater, if this is something that you think your table would enjoy, go for it. Would I recommend this to every single table? Probably not. And again, that's just, it comes down to like how strong of a stomach you have for uh, crazy, wacky out there grindhouse stuff. I think some of this stuff is really cool. I'd love to throw this at my players and see, you know, can they survive it? Uh, And and that's another thing about this adventure. It's very brutal. So, you know, if your table isn't looking for kind of a brutal game, uh, this, yeah, this will kill them. This is a meat grinder. I've not run it, but just looking at the stats and looking at what people can do and just just how much is sitting around this this is kind of a meat grinder and i think levi did that on purpose but yeah that's that's really all i have to say if you think your players would dig it if you yourself dig it and you want to run this absolutely this is a well-written adventure um it's cool it's it seems like a blast i'd love to run it for a group sometime uh but if you don't really get the sense that this is for you then yeah it's it's probably not for you 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 will know by the first two pages whether or not you will enjoy this or your group will enjoy this uh so i recommend checking it out levi like i said is a great guy you should give him your support and if you're into grindhouse if you're into texas chainsaw massacre or Plan 9 from Outer Space, or, you know, any kind of crazy sci-fi or or, uh, killer hillbilly movies, uh, yeah, this is for you. This was made for you. Specifically for you. So from there, I'm going to move on to the next topic at hand, and that is, of course, uh, the Grim and Perilous RPG Zweihander by Daniel Fox, published by Andrews McMeal. Guys this book is gorgeous they did a great description of this thing on vintage rpg when daniel was on that show uh but for those of you who have not seen this book in its full glory and this is the revised core rulebook daniel did recently release the uh the Zweihander player's guide which takes out the dm stuff but this uh revised core rulebook it is it is a two-hander it lives up to his name and it is gorgeous the art in this book is phenomenal. So yeah, the the artist on this book is uh, Daisen Mandic, I believe is how you say the guy's name. And again, someone will have to uh, someone will have to correct me on that pronunciation. But yeah, all of this art, uh, the the style that it's done in is is very cool. It's all like uh, kind of pencil sketchy. It looks like it looks like some of the like illustrations and cartoons that you would have seen in the time period that this uh this game is set in and that time period is actually kind of rare for rpgs it is the the renaissance era Specifically kind of the late Renaissance uh, Almost getting into the age of exploration a little bit Because you've got uh, full-on black powder weapons uh, There are muskets, there are arquebuses, uh, flintlock pistols uh, In addition to your, your crossbows and longbows and swords and, and whatnot But yeah, it's a setting that not a lot of people explore uh, there's, there's kind of an odd thing about RPGs and, and fantasy When you introduce black powder, things get a little bit weird and you have there's there's kind of an odd line that you have to toe. But with this being very much a dark fantasy book, I feel like there's there's really some interesting things that come out of it being set in the time that it's set in. And yes, this is uh, straight up dark fantasy. It is lower magic. Magic is definitely not as common, and a lot of the magic seems to be uh, kind of kind of dark and mysterious in origin. Even like the divine magic. It does not seem like the gods in this uh universe are benevolent in any way. And just the, the flavor of the book itself is it's it's a joy to read. It's it's a lot of fun. And it is, like I said, it's extensive. This uh this revised core rule book that Daniel sent me, it is both the uh the player information and the GM information. Uh, so it's a complete package here. And and even at like the back, uh beyond even just like the uh the information about you know, like h- how to run things. You know how to how to do a campaign, that kind of stuff. You even have like a bestiary area at the back. I'd like a full monster book. That that sounds. Uh, of course, everyone wants a full monster book. Monster books are awesome. But yeah, there's uh, there's definitely like a full bestiary area at the back. And uh, yeah, this, this this is a complete package, and it is a marvelous book. I I really enjoyed looking through this book, but let's talk mechanics because, of course, you know we, we have to talk a little bit about the content of the game rather than just the the beautiful package that it was uh, that it was delivered in. And uh, to be perfectly honest, when I first read the rules and first started kind of going through this book in the way that that Daniel recommends, you run a Zweihander game, I was uh, initially turned off if I'm being frank, there are a ton of character options. There's a lot of stuff to figure out if you're building a y hander character. And what Daniel recommends is that you roll for all of it. You don't necessarily have to roll for your uh, your gender and you don't have to roll, well, okay, so you don't have to roll for your race if you're going to be a human. If you just want to be a human, you say, I'm a human. But if you decide you're going to be a different ancestry as it's called, uh, instead of race, uh, you can be elven, dwarven, halfling. Uh, I believe orc is an option. All the all of your like typical player character races are there as ancestries. But what Daniel recommends is that you roll to see what ancestry you are if you decide not to be a human, and then you roll your stats, and then um, and this is kind of where things uh, initially kind of broke down for me uh, as far as you know being into the game. Uh, you then you then roll for um, your class, and then you roll for your profession within that class and my gut reaction to this was well what if I roll wizard stats but fighter as my profession and uh, you know that's that's my D;D brain thinking but the thing about this game it, it, it's it's designed for you to randomly roll your characters and the the more I dug in the more I realized you know it, this is what the game's built around and I would certainly allow people to, to pick their class and and pick what they want their character to be. The one thing that I still have not uh, fully come around on is uh, rolling for your body type. I feel like that should be player choice, especially since, as Daniel says in the book, there's no penalty to your body size. And this is just kind of digging into my own psyche a little bit here. I very much like to play characters that I would aspire to be, and uh, maybe this sounds shallow, but I the entire time I was rolling my character, I just went, please don't roll fat. Please don't make me a short, fat character. And that's because in real life, I am short and I am overweight. And I don't like the fact that I'm overweight. I'm doing a lot to not be overweight anymore. I have, for the past few years, been eating better and exercising regularly to, to make sure that I you know, am fit and feel good. And I'm happy with the way I look, but I'm not there yet in my real life. I still very much struggle with that. And so if I by roll of the dice ended up with a character that reminded me of myself, how I am now, I would not be happy with that. And maybe that's my problem. Maybe you don't have that problem. But just for my own personal choice, if I rolled that, I would ask the Dungeon Master, can I be anything else? Can can I literally just any of the other body types let me roll again If if you insist that I roll? I just don't want to be that, because... It's it's a it's a psychological thing. It's in my role playing. I like to escape from my reality. I don't want to be reminded of my reality. But that aside, that's the one thing that I would say let your players pick. Everything else, you know, if you're rolling for it again, that's the way it was designed. And let me tell you, kind of how, um, in a way, how disappointing my character that I rolled up uh, was. So when you roll up a character, you're using a 3d10 for stats. And then I believe it's 2d10 for everything else after that, because it's a 1 through 100. But I rolled up a character who, he was young, he was tall, he was average build. But when I rolled his profession, I got commoner. I am a commoner. Not a fighter, not a ranger, not a rogue, not a bard, not a wizard. I'm a commoner. Just an average dude. And I had decent stats. Like, my stats... They weren't fantastic, but they weren't terrible. I got a commoner. And then I roll for what my specific profession is within uh, being a commoner. I get doomsayer. For those of you who don't know, a doomsayer are uh, like the people in uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail who were uh, chanting and beating themselves with with the boards. You're like a a hyper-religious fanatic wanderer, you're you're the guy with the sandwich board that says the end is nigh, and you beat yourself. And that was the character that I rolled. And uh, for those of you who don't know me or know my playstyle, I'm very much drawn to martial archetypes. You know, I like to be the fighter or the ranger or the rogue. I, I like to I like to stab stuff. I'm not so much a magic guy. I'm trying to learn that aspect, but you know, I I like to be useful in combat. The Doomsayer not all that useful in combat. <sighs> All characters get some kind of combat uh, proficiency. Pretty much all characters get at the very, very minimum um, simple melee combat. I believe is the the way it's put. So everyone will be able to do something in a fight. You'll have something to add, um, you know, as you're adventuring. But needless to say, I was I was disappointed by by the outcome until. I started to look further, and I started to look into kind of the expert classes that you could evolve into, and I started to look deeper at the, uh, the stuff, the other stuff that kind of came with it. And as I started taking everything in and looking at the specific, you know, other professions that you could enter into, and I found the Inquisitor, essentially a witch hunter going by the art that's uh, that's in the book that's when i realized i have something with my character to aspire to once we get to that higher tier of play where i'm able to to pick an advanced class i want my character to be an inquisitor and as like a doomsayer as a religious fanatic already that's something that my character would aspire to And that's something that my character would actively pursue. And the other stuff kind of around my character very much reinforced this. This idea, there's this, like, omen that you get in your background with each character. And that omen basically foretells how you die. And so my omen was the snake in the garden. And, you know, me being a religious person in real life, uh, the snake in the garden immediately reminds me of Adam and Eve and Temptation and so for my character, how I feel like him as a doomsayer would interpret this is I will die by succumbing to temptation. So I must do everything I can to eradicate temptation from my life. And as the, uh, as the adventure goes on, as this character becomes more and more powerful, he will seek to remove that temptation by purging the heretics and that leads him into the path of the Inquisitor. And so it was all coming together, and I, and I realized the brilliance of the way this game is designed, especially when it comes to the character aspect. When it comes to the combat aspect and stuff like that, uh, it's a little bit... It, it's very different from what I'm used to. I come from a D&D 5th edition background, and that's pretty much it. Every game I've played is D20 of some variety, except for uh, Savage Worlds. That's the only game I've played that's not a D20 game. Uh, this game is based on Warhammer, so it's based on a percentage dice. So the, the only dice you're rolling are two d10s as your, your percentile dice. And then uh, there's a chaos dice, which I believe is a d6 or a d8. It's one of those two. And that only comes into play every now and then, mostly for spellcasters. But your 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 d your, this d one hundred idea and and having a percentile, and you want to roll under this uh, this number that you get. You know, if you're at a hundred percent, it's anything but a hundred. And and you know the way that crits work and stuff like that in this this new system I it took me a little bit to get used to but I do I do like the rule set I do feel like it'd be easy to teach people it would be easy to teach people who've never played an RPG or you know people who are familiar with Warhammer it might be challenging to teach someone who, like me, came purely from a background of D20 games, uh, especially someone who comes from like 5th edition, it it might be a little bit of a challenge. You'll have to unlearn some things about how the dice work in that system to to really pick this up, but it won't be too hard. Anyone who's sufficiently committed to playing the game um, will be able to pick it up. I feel like Daniel's made a very accessible product. There's infinite options. And I would love to play this game, I'd love to run this game. And what I would do if I was uh, running the game is I would definitely have my players roll for everything. And then as a player, I'd like to do an option where I can kind of, you know, min max my character, make make the character that I want to make roll my stats still, but then you know, based on those stats, kind of arrange them how I want them and then pick my profession, all that stuff. But then I'd also want to play a game where I randomly roll, I'd love to see both. And it's something that I've actually been thinking about, uh, before I picked up Zweihander, before it arrived at my house, I was thinking about doing this in D&D. The next time I play d and I want to roll my stats, uh, 4d6 in order, drop the lowest, and then from there pick my class, because I feel like I too often get stuck in that rut of, I'm gonna play a martial character. And then when I decide I'm going to play a martial character, I end up making the same character multiple times over. And I feel like kind of to break myself of that, that same mold that I cast all of my characters in, I do like the idea of the randomness. And so next time I play D&D, you know, as a player, I'm going to ask my DM if I can roll my stats in order with them watching so that, you know, they don't think I'm cheating or anything like that and then pick my class from there. And hopefully the DM will allow that. I know sometimes DMs want a good party balance, and so if everyone else is doing other stuff and I roll something that conflicts with what the people at the table are doing, then that might be a problem. But I'd love to generate a random character and then have to flesh that character out in my own way at the table. Because I feel like that would be a great challenge for me as a role player and a fan of RPGs. And I love that Daniel has built a game here that's designed with that in mind. Bottom line, uh, should you pick up Zweihander? Yes. Absolutely yes. If nothing else, because it is a beautiful book. But the game also seems like a lot of fun. I would love to play it. I, I can't wait to play it. I'm sure I'll get an opportunity at some point to, to pick up this game and, and give it a go. Uh, I'd love to do a full campaign of it someday that maybe that'll be the next game that I run, is a Wyander game. We'll see how that goes. I have other games that I really want to run. I want to get back to Deadlands. I want to do a Star Wars game. Definitely want to do a superhero game. But yeah, Wyander has definitely moved up that list. And so yeah, I recommend it. Uh, if nothing else, just because it's a beautiful book to have in your collection. Honestly, the game's fantastic. And if... You're not really a DM. Maybe the price point seems a little bit high for you. This book, uh, oddly enough, is not all that expensive. I believe it... uh, So it MSRPs for right around $65. Uh, I think you can get it for less than that. If I pull it up on Amazon, I believe it's going to be right around the, uh, the $49, $50 range. Let's go ahead and pull that up so that I am not uh, talking out of my posterior, as it were, since I do not have the stats for anal ventriloquism. So yeah, right now on Amazon, the uh, the revised core rulebook is MSRPing or not, yeah, MSRP's for $65, but it is available for uh, $32.34 right now during this holiday season. That's a bargain. That is an absolute bargain, guys. For this gorgeous book, you can't beat that. If you're not a DM or, you know, you already have a DM or something like that, uh, the Player's Handbook is $34.99. It's a brand new product. Base price is only $49.99, so even though it's more expensive right now than the, uh, the Revised Core Rulebook, at some point it will be cheaper. And then there's also a supplement out right now called Main Gauche, which um, adds 68 new professions and then um, adds in like machining and um, vehicle combat, alchemy, elder demons, all kinds of crazy stuff. I definitely need to pick this up. Since I plan on someday running this game or playing in this game, I'm definitely going to pick this up. And then there's also a character folio which is, um, it's like a journal for your character. It's a character sheet. There's also a DM folio, or a GM folio, rather, because DM is a copyrighted thing. But yeah, all told, Daniel has a great package here. That's going to be taken out of context at some point. And he does have kind of an OGL thing going on where you can you can make stuff with Zweihander and and release it as you know, kind of under the the open gaming license. There's a lot of cool stuff going on with this game. I'm definitely looking forward to this game kind of gaining more traction. It's already super popular. There's there's people doing like stuff on Twitch with it. I'm planning on talking to one of those guys in uh, in 2020. But yeah, th- this is a fantastic package. Uh, definitely, definitely, definitely pick it up. If you're a fan of RPGs at all, this is a must buy. ZweiHander, five stars, two enthusiastic thumbs up. All right, guys, so that is gonna do it for today and for uh, the rest of the year, actually. This will be the, uh, the last episode before the holidays. I hope everyone has a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, Happy Holidays. I hope everyone enjoys their time with their family. Hope you get some sick loot from under the Christmas tree. And uh, yeah, just everyone have a Happy Holidays. And I look forward to what we can do with this podcast in the new year. So until next time, tell all your friends that Rolling Bones with Ryan Howard is the best place for RPG interviews. And boneheads, I'll see you next time.